0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Open your Bibles to 1 John. The love of God, part two. Now you'll notice that this chapter has been so much about the love of God. So much about God's greatness and His love for the world. And one of the things that we all have to admit as we read through this is that as the Spirit of God worked on John's heart, and as the Holy Spirit breathed words into his life, man, were they ever practical. And I don't know if I've been more convicted any time in my life than I have been as our study through First John. We're going to pick up in verse 15 of chapter 4. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. Confession is a very interesting thing for a person. In fact, I think the best illustration is the illustration of a marriage. I have been married to Carly Rao for 17 years. And I'm happy to say that. Now, she doesn't say that to me that often. Yeah, like, you know, he's good. He's a a good man. You know, what can you say? Very stable. He's a good guy. Well, if there is no public confession, one has to question, hey, is there really anything there in the first place? I don't know if you girls... Um, how exactly you think. I'm still working on it. I've read a lot of books. And um, I don't know. But anyway, here's a shot in the dark. I'm not saying that because you're difficult. It's just we're very dense. It's obvious. Now, if you were on a date with a fella and you kind of liked him, and you're getting to the point to where you're saying... You know, I think we're to the point to where we're going to say I love you to each other. And you're in a public place and one of his best friends walks up to him. And he says, he introduces you as an acquaintance or kind of a nice friend that you've been hanging out with. You're going to walk away from that experience thinking it's over. He doesn't love me. How could he call me a friend? (laughs) It's love. Now, in the case of the Christian life, there is a real love relationship between ourselves and the Lord. And a part of that expression is public love that says, I love God. That's what you guys were doing when you're all standing around lifting up your hands and worshiping the Lord. You're telling God and you're saying it in front of everybody else. I am in love with God. I am in love with the Lord. And that is what the fellowship of Jesus Christ is all about. It's all about understanding and recognizing that there is this great love between God and His people. And he has given us that. And therefore we return. And whenever we're in in a situation, we always side on saying publicly, yes, I am a believer. You know, I love what Jesus said in one of his, um, not epistles, that was Paul's writings, one of the gospels. He said... If you're ashamed of me before this wicked and perverse generation, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father and His holy angels. It's a give-and-take relationship, but the public confession usually is an indication that something deep has happened. This weekend, this Sunday, after service, third service, we're going to have a baptism. We have one every month. And we see hundreds of folks who come to make their public expression of love made known for the whole world. And I I think it's one of the greatest privileges that I have as a pastor, and that is to baptize people. And this is what... If you've been baptized by me, you know this. But uh, for the rest of you who've missed out, here's sort of the short version. Anyway, imagine the water. You're standing in water about this deep. Anyway, I ask about your relationship with the Lord. Tell me where it began. How is it right now? And are you in love with Him? And then... We state that this is your public declaration. Baptism is your public declaration that tells the world, for now and forever, I am with Jesus Christ. No turning back. If anyone ever asks me, Hey, are you a believer? Hey, are you are you belong to that church? Are you a part of that Christianity movement? You resoundingly, immediately say, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Of course I'm with Jesus. Even when they persecute him, even when they make fun of Christianity, even when it's hard, our confession is pure. Thereby saying, though the world doesn't follow me, though the world makes fun of me, Jesus, I'll always be devoted to you. Public love. Whoever confesses, the word there is homologeo. It's a Greek word. You can write it down and impress your friends at your home Bible study. And this is how you do it. Look, here's the look. Now, the word in Greek is this. I don't know. It just seems more. I'm trying to be funny. Just, Just go with it. <laughs> That's how you get past awkward moments. You just sort of giggle through them. I mean, I don't know if you know that. Okay, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in him. We've gone through this word before. The word abide there is minnow. And it means to dwell with richly. If you make this public confession, and your life, there should be a matching of your actions with your words. But if you make this public confession... It's indicating, it's indicative of the fact that you are living and abiding well with Christ. You know, that's what a marriage does. That's what families do. Families not only are born of the same blood, of the same genetic seed, but they dwell together. Uh, One of my favorite things is Thanksgiving. You guys like Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. Not necessarily because of the giving thanks. I give thanks every day. I'm always grateful for food, but it just seems to be, you know, like the big deal for the whole thing. But what I like the most is getting together with friends and with family and just the natural relationship of abiding with each other, spending time. It's sort of like a holy Walton's. You guys remember that? Good night, John Boy. Good night, Ellie May. No, that's the Clampets. Anyway. It's abiding, living with, dwelling with. Look at verse 16. And we know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. If you're going to sum up this whole chapter, if you're going to sum up everything that we study, it's God is love. And the practical application of that love is real expression to believers, to the world around us, and into God Himself. Now, the word here that is used for known and the word that is used for believed in Greek are in the perfect tense. And we've discussed this before, but it's worth mentioning. John is saying, you know what, there came a point in the past when I actually knew And I believed. But the present result is that I'm still believing and I know the love that God has for us. You know, it's one thing to fall in love. It's another thing to stay in love, isn't it? Those of you who are married are going, brother, you ain't got to tell me anything. (laughs) I don't want to mention any ball and chains, but I mean, I'm telling you, this is a real trial in my life. It's easy to fall in love. It's easy to be infatuated. But man, to stay in love. Wow, that's the truth. And so what he's saying is, I knew it in the past. I, I believed it in the past. And you know what? After all of these years, over 60 years, I'm still convinced and we know his love for us. Through trials, through persecution, in times where it seems like God is silent and he's not answering my prayers. In times where I don't really understand... All in all, when all is said and done, I know it's true. And, and we know as a community of believers, notice he uses the term that God has, the love that God has for us. You know, oftentimes it's easy for us to say that God loves other people. Well, I can know, know why he loves that person. They're so nice. I mean, I love them. A lot of people in town love them. But why would he love me? No, it's us. The good, the bad, and the ugly all together. He says, we know that God has, we've we've known and believe that God, the love he has for us, because as we mentioned last time, God is love. The best way to understand this is simply God as to his essence, who he is in totality is love. That is that every form of expression that he has, it expresses love. In judgment, there's love. In mercy, there's love there's love. In conviction, there's love. Every way that he applies his love toward us is full of who he is. In fact, everything good that we understand and know and practice about love comes from God himself. It wasn't man-made. We didn't make this up to fulfill some type of psychological need. It was the very essence of who God is. And he placed within us a hunger and a desire for the, for the divine. And once that love has been made complete, ah, there's a sense of completeness in our life in that now we're living for the purpose that we've been made for. He says, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. This love gives us confidence in our position in life. You know, when you're a brand new believer, and even the further you go, sometimes you have the probability of questioning your faith, wouldn't you say? I mean, like, you don't have to admit it in front of everybody, but you can give me a little head nod like, Yeah, every once in a while. Sometimes you do something or you hear something or, you know, it's just your human nature, your insecurity. You start to doubt, well, 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 am I really a believer? I mean, would I really have thought that about my sister or my brother if I was really a believer? Would those words have come out of my mouth if I was a believer? And you begin to doubt, but... As you grow and you come to know his love and you abide in that love and you live in that household of love, you're more convinced of your position. You're more convinced. You know, when we first got married, Carly and I, she was so beautiful. And I I was so ugly. I started out just as such a... It was really tough. I mean... um, I'm a lot better than I used to be. It's taken a lot of work on her part. But I was insecure. You know, that first love where you're thinking, gosh, she's so pretty. I mean, once she's going to wake up and she's going to get her prescription changed and her glasses. And (laughs) she's really going to figure me out. And she's going to see me for who I really am. And she'll go, what am I doing? But after four kids and 17 years, I would say I feel pretty confident. That we're going to be together for a long time. That's just a human relationship. But once you abide in this love with God. Oh, the confidence of your position in him. You start to realize that this is something that's unshakable. This is something that's a part of my life. God's forgiven me for this. God helped me through this situation. Oh, look at all that he's done for me. And the confidence grows in the position that you know. When he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, even until the end of the world. The reality starts to set in. You know what? It's true. It's true. I have faith, confidence in my position in Christ. Let's move on to verse 17. He says, love has been perfected among us in this. That we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. We've mentioned this word before. It is perfected. And It means to be complete or mature. Let me reread it in that tense. Love has been matured or completed among us in this. That we have boldness in the day of judgment. You see that confidence in our position? Now, you may have heard sermons about this. And you may have read it in a theology book. Or maybe have gone over it in your Bible. But positionally... When you were born of the Spirit of God, all of the goodness and holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ was transferred into your bank account, your heavenly bank account. In fact, you were justified, and I, I'm, I'm going to use it. I don't know any way around it, but it's, it's just so good. Justification lends itself to the idea that it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's it's not necessarily that way because everybody knows you sinned. But positionally in heaven, your sins are forgiven. Did you know that? If you didn't know that, those of you who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation for those who walk according to the Spirit. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for you who are born of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, practically, through your life, you say, Wait a minute, Dave. (laughs) I don't know about this positional thing, but I can tell you a few stories that might contradict what you're saying there. Well, that's the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification is the work of Jesus on the cross. It wasn't, none of you in here, myself included, any of us in the world, any person who's ever existed apart from Jesus Christ, none of us had enough goodness to pay for our own sins. Mankind has a very bleak, bleak, miserable sickness, and it's known as sin. But Jesus Christ's remedy on the cross. Was that he would take all of his righteousness, all of his goodness and add it to you. We read that phrase last week and earlier on in our study. It is propitiation. It was the appropriate payment for the sin. Period. So positionally right now, you are pure in the heavenlies. Now, this practical love being completed and matured gives us confidence in the day of judgment. We've all heard that phrase in Hebrews. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But there's a lot of confusion about which judgments are which. Are we talking about The Great White Throne Judgment, which we read about over in Revelation chapter 20, where he talks about the beast and the false prophet were thrown into the lake of fire, and then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and it's the second death. And you think, man, when I die, I'm going to go straight to the judgment. Well, in fact, if you go through the New Testament, it seems that, man, there are a lot of... Judgments. In Revelation in the early chapters, you have the bold judgments which are poured out upon the earth. But then you have this very wonderful judgment known as the judgment seat of Christ. Keep your finger here, or the little tab thing that you have in your Bible, and look with me over at Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. Verse 9, Paul, speaking about heaven, says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Speaking Jesus, we're trying to be pleasing to him. Whether we're going to heaven or we're here on the earth, we want to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat. Of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad, there 's a lot of confusion about this. if you're not secure in the love of God or it hasn 't been completed or perfected or matured in you to the point to where you 're secure in your position, you 'll read a passage like that and say, "Oh man, here it comes, I knew it." Here's one of those scriptures that talk about the judgment. And I'm going to be judged for the things that have done good or bad. And and so it's, I'm going to faint. Well, let me help you a little bit. If you make it to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for you. All who appear at this point will be those who are believers in Jesus, who have been risen from the dead or caught up in the rapture. And we are ushered before Jesus Christ himself. And the phrase that is used here for good or bad is not speaking about the eternal worth of our behavior. Soteriologically. Or to say, do we have merit in our actions one way or the other for our own salvation. He's talking about The nature and the quality of what we have done in Christ. The word used here for judgment seat is bima. And in the Greek and Roman culture, it was a place that stood for judgment. They would stand and make decisions. Well, here's the picture that is given us. One day we will appear before the Lord Jesus. Just think about that for a minute. All of your prayers, all of your worship, everything that you have lifted up toward God in the span of your life here on this earth will culminate in that moment when you see him face to face. That will be the day. That moment is coming for every one of us. And if it is not coming, then we should close down shop. I think Christianity is a very poor religion. It is an amazing story. It is an amazing relationship with God. But it's not a very great religion. There's a lot of guilt involved. But in our actions, we recognize that we're heading toward a point. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 11. It speaks of our rewards. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. Now, as you read that, again, your comfort level kind of goes down a low, and you think, Dave, he's mentioning fire. There's going to be trouble. I knew that there would be fire, and when you mention judgment, I did, I can't take No hang on, relax. He is speaking of the nature, the character of your work and my work. Notice the comparison. He brings out three different things, six different materials. The first three can withstand fire, gold, May change, may morph, but it purifies in fire. The same way with silver and precious stones cannot be burned. But wood, hay, and straw are burned up quickly. And this is is what he's saying. You and I have a choice in how we invest our lives. We do. You can make good investments or bad investments. We have investments of time We have investments of resources. We have investments of talents. And all of these things are given to us by God. Every moment that you and I spend here on this earth is a gift from God and an opportunity to glorify Him. Every ounce of resource, cash, money, or availability that He gives you is a gift from the Lord. In fact, if you look over at chapter 4... Of the the first few verses, he talks about us being stewards of the mysteries of God. We mentioned it on Sunday morning. But in verse 4, he says, For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. This is what I mean. We all have work, we all do things, but in the end, what will last? What will last? Will it be the 20 hours of television per week? I don't know. Some of you are hoping. Maybe there's some merit to that. You know that show, by the way, this is just a commercial. Here's the commercial form of the the message. You know, a, a few weeks ago I mentioned that show, Dirty Jobs. How many of you remember that? Now, how many of you saw the show last night? You have this guy who goes around the country and he... Works on jobs that are really dirty. He cleans out sewers and a lot of other gross stuff. Well, this week, he was at a Calvary Chapel in California, re-roofing it. I'm just telling you, I know how to pick the shows, okay? (laughs) You just got to listen to me. Anyway. Okay, that's the end of the commercial. Now we're back to the text. What are you going to do in investing your life? What will it be? And I can't come along and follow you around day by day and say, well, no, you're doing that wrong. You need to invest more in the kingdom here. No, you need to stop. That's frivolous. You and your conscience, you and your checkbook, your time log, your resources book, your talents book have to determine with the Holy Spirit before the living God. What am I doing with what you've given me? Because we do not know how many days that we have, do we? You can say, well, you know, I'm, I'm guessing maybe 75, 80, 100. I don't know, I have pretty good genetics in my family. But that's just a guess. We do not know how long we're going to live. And really, we should be living almost every day as if it were our last. Making that internal, eternal investment why because we're going to stand before the living god all right look with me over at 2nd Timothy chapter 4 2nd Timothy chapter 4 look with me at verse 7 he mentions a crown he said i have fought the good fight in verse 7 i have finished my race i have kept the faith this is paul speaking finally Where there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. What the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also all those who have loved his appearing. There is a crown of righteousness that is laid up for the believer. It's laid up for those who are prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're working for. But imagine the span of 60, 70, maybe even 100 years on this earth in comparison to eternity. In comparison to eternity. What will that be like? Will you work for a crown on this earth where everyone will say, oh, what a good person? Oh, what a fantastic person. Oh, look at all the amazing things they've done. Oh, look, they're a self-made man. Oh, look at the qualities. Or will you live such a life that in the end, when you see the Lord face to face, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. Any of you here ever have a hard day work, hard days work? I know that you look at preachers and you think, <laughs> come on, buddy, how hard can it be? You know, you read books all day, you go down, and you pray, maybe you light a candle, a little incense, I don't know what you do. <laughs> hard days work? Come on. Believe it or not, we kind of earn our keep. But I like working in the yard, and we've fought the grass this year. We've prayed for rain, and all we've done is pray to figure out how to pay for the water bill. But the grass is really nice. It's green. But it takes a lot of work. And when you come in, there's something that is so satisfying about that. And I got my reward the other day. Um, we had neighbors in the evening. I don't know what your neighborhood is like. Our neighborhood, I think, probably is like a dog pound. I don't know that there were that many dogs in any place in Albuquerque. But in the evening, it's just like every dog comes out and they're attached to a human and they're walking around the block. And so I see a lot of people from the fellowship and different people come by. But Carly ran in the other night. I was inside the house and she said, Dave, your dream has come true. We had a neighbor stop by the other night and she looked at the yard just now and she said, Ooh, it looks like velvet. I was like, yes, I'm done. Call the gravel company. We'll completely cover it in gravel. I can do no better. Zeroscape. Just call them right now. I'm done. I have my reward. Well, in the end... Every bit of energy that you've expended toward the kingdom, every sacrifice that you have made, every investment that you've made will culminate in a moment where God will reward you out of his treasure. Not because he wants to favor you over someone else, but because he has set it up that way. You know, oftentimes we think, well, where's my reward? You know, I, I suffer for the Lord. I try hard. I serve him. And, and my neighbors who are pagans, look, they, they don't have any problems. They're not suffering like I am. Where's the payoff? Oh, Lord, like Peter said, we've left homes and houses and families. Where's the payoff? Well, the payoff is in this life you have fulfillment. But we have yet to see how God will reward His servants. Let's go back to 1 John. Chapter 4. We have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because as he is. So are we in this world. That's just a simple statement. To say this. We. Have the spirit of God in us. And he lived upon this earth. And lived by the spirit of God. And lived a life that was pleasing to his father in heaven. But even as he is in heaven now. Our position with him is like we are in heaven. But yet we are living here on this earth connected to him. We are connected to eternity. We are connected to the source of all power needed to live life in this world. Let's look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Ah, we see this theme again. That if you have fear in your relationship with the Lord, it isn't complete and mature as it ought to be. It, Folks, young folks who are thinking about getting married... Let me just tell you a little secret here. It'll save you a lot of money. One day you'll thank me and send me a check. It'll be really great. <laughs> Best advice ever. Thanks, Dave. Here's an extra, you know, whatever, how, however you want to do it. But just think about it later. When you're first in love, you're so insecure that they will do something or reveal something about themselves that will cause your love to diminish. And so when we have couples come in for counseling with premarital my counsel has always been ask the hard questions. If you can blow the deal right now blow it. You don't better to to do it now than find out later oh, oh what have i done you know it's too late. That's the facts i'm telling you. This is good stuff. You need to write it down. (laughs) Don't be afraid of the hard questions. If you're insecure about something, ask. If you you have an insecurity, you wonder, probe. Find out what's there. And I would say the same about our relationship with the Lord. Well, maybe I shouldn't ask that question. What if I found out that my faith isn't true? What if I'm just following some false religion? I don't know what I'm going to do. Ask. Probe. Ask God. Lord, reveal to me. And be willing to accept the answer. And in doing so, your love becomes perfected and you grow and you mature. Because there is no need for fear in our relationship with the Lord. Because it involves torment. Children need to fear and respect their parents. They do not need to be tormented by them. I know it's tempting. But... (laughs) Think about it. There's no fear in love. And here's where the fear comes from. Primarily, it comes from three areas. It comes from our past. It comes from the present and from our future. If you have lived a really rough past and you've done some things that, whoo, buddy, would make anyone blush... When you get insecure about your love or someone questions your faith, you immediately think of your past and say, Oh, I hope they don't find out about that. Because if they find out about that, they'll say, Oh, you're going to call yourself a Christian? I mean, come on, I know God's loving and forgiving, but I'm sure he has his limits. But you fear it, don't you? Maybe you've been asked to teach a Bible study. Maybe a local fellowship or at work someone said... Well, Smith, why don't you lead us in prayer? We know you're a religious man. And uh, immediately you're starting to think, what of all the things that I've said? What are the things that I've done? What if, they, what if they find out that I'm not perfect? And you get freaked out. Hey, God is, listen, the great thing about you and I and our relationship with God is that he forgave all of those things. That's the message of the faith. And so as gross as it gets, as ugly as it gets, no one can torment you over your past. Because if someone brings up, hey, look, buddy, I know who you are. You don't need to be in church. Get outside. I mean, you may be okay to be in the parking lot, but you don't need to be inside. (laughs) You can say this. Yes, I am. Well, what about this? I know this about your past. And you say, amen. Let me tell you how Jesus took care of that. We're told in Corinthians that we have this glory of God in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels, if they're complete and perfect, are able to conceal light, aren't they? You take a lamp and you put it in a perfectly solid vessel and it can restrict the glow of that lamp. But if you take a little hammer and you knock holes in that jar... All of a sudden, wherever their little crack is or the imperfection, the glory or the light begins to shine out of that imperfection. And all of the scars and all of the worst things that have happened in your life, as the glory of God is now in you, it shines out and it becomes a lamp. You become a beautiful work of art for this world to see. And they go, how is the glory of God shining through that? And you go, I don't know what is good, ain't it? Oh, the Lord is so good. If your past is in Jesus, don't don't be tormented by it. Let the glory of God shine through it. Then there's your present. Lord, what are we going to do? You know, I'm in a situation now. And I, I, I don't know if you can handle this. I know that you took care of things in the past. But can you handle this right now? Yes, he can. And then the third area of worry is your future. Let me just just cut through all of of the mess and just say this. None of you can predict the future, so stop worrying about it. None of you, me, none of us can predict the future. So just give it up and give it into the hands of an amazing God who graciously forgave your past, who very carefully loves you in the present, who has no sense or intent of stopping loving you in the future. There's an old song I I loved. It was back in the day when I listened to gospel music was kind of the hip thing and you know you had Russ Taff and what was the band that he was with you guys remember come on somebody from the old school there has to be one person here the Imperials big lapels bell bottoms really cool hair anyway one of the lines from a song that he sung said God didn't pull you from the river just to drown you in the sea God isn't sadistic. He doesn't think like we do. His ways are higher than our ways. He lives in perfection. And if God started a work in you, we have the promise that he's going to finish the work and he will complete it. So our past, our present, and our future are safe in his hands, in his control. Look at verse 19. We love him because he first... Loved us. It's a simple, simple principle, but here it is. We as creatures respond to our Creator. We either respond negatively by saying, I don't want your love, I reject you, but no one first loved God. We are all responders to the heavenly. God first loved us. And then we responded to that love and we complete that circle of maturity and completeness. Look at verse 20. Here's the practical application. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Simple statement, hard to live out. Let me sum it up for you in a very, the way that I believe it's very profound, but it will set the picture in your mind. You and I can get into conflicts with brothers. And you may say, this brother is sinning. This sister is sinning. They're blowing it and I can take you to the scripture and I can show you how they're blowing it. And I'm going to go tell them and I'm going to tell them to their face. And I'm right and I'm righteous and I know the word. And they're blowing it. and I'm going to get some other people together and I'm going to tell you how to do it. And then they respond and say, oh yeah, well what about you? Look at you. You think that you're so great. You think that you're so perfect. And then the battle begins and we take out our Bible and we fire shots at each other. This is what it looks like. It looks like two children fighting. The thing that I can't stand the most in my house, that will drive me over the edge, that will drive me to go live with the neighbors, <laughs> is the kids fighting. Oh, it, I, I can't! I, I can't take it. You hear? It? I I remember, I remember. Well, you said you said well, don't touch me, and I and I told you, and then, you're always doing that. No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, I'm melting. <laughs> now, as I listen to the argument, I don't go, "Ooh, you're right. You're wrong. You must be banished forever. Leave the house immediately." <laughs> Thank you for being so reasonable and wonderful. You are the perfect child. <laughs> All I'm thinking is, knock it off. What I usually do, and Maddie can tell you here, you guys come here, hug each other. I don't want to hug each other. Okay, you can have a spanking. Okay, we'll hug each other. Okay. <laughs> Sam, sorry. You're sorry. No, nope. <laughs> get over here. They're both wrong. And as a parent, I'm right. If you don't believe me, come to my house. I'll straighten you out. That's how we roll. Anyway, look with me over it. At, at my house, my crib. Anyway, I'm confused. I'm lightheaded. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> You guys are fun people. Okay. <laughs> Look with me at Romans chapter 14 and we'll close. Look at verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm sorry. I'm, get, I'm get, I get. I'm so emotional these days. I don't know what's going on. Why, why do you show contempt for your brother? The things that, I, that hurt me the most are when God has reminded me of all the terrible things I've said about believers. I can't believe myself. It's repulsive. Why do you show contempt for your brother? Don't you know you're going to stand before Jesus someday? Don't you know it? And when we all stand before Jesus, guess who's wrong? We are. Guess who's right? He is. And in the end, here's my challenge to you. In the end, what do you want to be known for? How perfect you were? Or do you want to know, be known for how well you loved? How much grace you showed another person? What do you want to be known for? I would love to be known at the end of my life. as What a sweet guy. What? He's so loving. Do you see how gracious he is with me? It's just like the Lord. Instead, I can spend all of my time stamping out principles, knocking people in the teeth. And when I get to heaven, I find out I blew it. Don't you realize we're all going to stand before Jesus? It's going to be good, by the way. It's going to be real good. Just lighten up. This is the new commandment. If you say you love God, you got to love your brother too. Because God won't let you get away with it. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org.